have your Bibles, if you would take them out and turn to the book of Colossians. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. On your way out at the Next Step Center, we invite you to stop by there and pick one out. That one's yours for free. You can have that, but bring it back with you when you come again. Colossians, though, chapter 3. I'm going to ask you to stand to honor God's Word. We'll read it together. Colossians chapter 3, let me pick up in verse 12. Here's what God's Word says. It says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. God, I pray that the words that we have just read will become alive in our lives as your Holy Spirit now teaches us. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in the month of September, we are going to be talking about the value of community here at First Baptist because uh, whether you realize it or not, God wired us as people for community. He wired us to be in community. We were created for community. You're wired for relationships. You are made to go through life not alone, but together with other people. You are actually formed to be in a family type of a relationship, whether that's more of an immediate family or a larger family. In fact, not long after Adam was created in the Garden of Eden, remember what was said? It is not good for him to be what? Alone. It's not good for man to be alone. And yet with the breakdown of the American family and the uh, kind of the independent isolationism that we face and see in American society, that, that lack of community is huge in our culture. And unfortunately, that lack of community has also spilled over into our American churches as well. You know when I experience this the most? You know when it stands out the most? I observe this when I go onto the mission field. And whether it's in uh, Africa or the Dominican Republic or Costa Rica or even this summer, we were in um, Mexico. In other cultures, you will see people come to church and, and really treat it as a family type experience. In fact, after church, they will stay for hours on end. When we went to Mexico, uh, the, the, all of us from, from the United States were kind of like, okay, church is over, and we hung around for a bit, but you could just see that we were ready to get into our cars and go back to what we had to do next and go back to our work project. They didn't treat it that way at all. They, they love being together, and they treat that experience as kind of a family type of thing. And in the American church, we often, you experience it here. I mean, some of you do this. You come in. You maybe even come in late to the service. You may end early because you're a little afraid of, community. You're a little afraid of people. You don't want to be around. Or you may come, you may come a little bit early, but then, you know, afterwards you just kind of go and you're on your way. 
We, we, this is kind of how we are geared. It's kind of how we're wired here in America. In fact, let me give you a little illustration of this from the, uh, from the bird world, all right? From the world of birds. If I was to ask you, what is the most powerful bird on the planet? How would you answer it? Just give me, give me a, what's the most powerful bird on the planet? What, what comes to mind? Eagle, a hawk, maybe a vulture, oftentimes, or a falcon you may even hear, oftentimes eagle is the one that I heard the most uh, here. Did you know, though, that the lowly goose can fly thousands of miles farther than an eagle? You say, why? Here's why. Because unlike the eagle, which often flies alone, geese will fly in groups. And do you remember what, what a group of geese is? Anybody know what that is? Yeah, it's a gaggle. That's useless trivia that you'll use on Jeopardy someday, all right? I don't know. You, you can have that. A gaggle will fly together. You, you, you've seen this. You've heard this illustration before. Many of you have. They'll fly in kind of this V formation where the head goose will fly up front and it will kind of, you know, kind of captains the way. It parts the wind and it creates this updraft for the next geese that are in line there and it does most of the work for a time. And then when that head goose gets um, tired, it will whip around to the back end and another one will take its place and it'll kind of cut through the wind and it'll take all the brunt of it and it'll kind of create the uplift for the other ones. And when it gets tired, it'll whip around to the other side. And, and they do this over and over and over and over again. They will fly from Canada down to Mexico like this, and they have found that set, they can fly 71% farther and longer than if they were flying alone. 71% farther and longer than if they're flying alone. Now, follow me on this. What do most of us think about ourselves here in America? We think we're eagles, don't we? I mean, that's kind of how we approach it. We're strong, we're independent, we're self-sufficient. We have this kind of this romantic idea of this American strength. You know, we have a football team called the Eagles. There was a rock group called, you know, back in, I think, the 70s or 80s, the Eagles, right? You don't find them. They're not called the geese, right? I mean, you, you just don't have that. Right? I, when the first man landed on the moon, what do they say? The what has landed? The eagle is not, it's not like the goose has dropped, you know? I mean, and that's just, that's just not what it was. We, we, we have this more, this, this, this American mindset. We're eagles and we soar and we do it alone. And yet, as much as eagles do it alone, that represents kind of our American worldview. But the Bible says no. That's not how we are to really operate and function. In fact, look what it says out of Ecclesiastes 4.9. Scripture says we are better, two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. Two are better than one. We're to do it together. We were not created to be geese. Excuse me. We were not created to be eagles. That's the way I wanted to say that. Many of us live, live though as eagles. We were created to be geese living together with one another. In fact, look at the verse out of Romans 12, 5. It says, Christ makes us one body and individuals who are connected to each other. You may not realize this, but the people you are sitting next to today, you are connected to. Now, some of you say, I'm not sure I want to be connected to that person right next to me. Doesn't matter. If you are a part of the family of God, 
You are connected to them, and they are connected to you. Here's the problem with this. It is very easy to get disconnected. Would you agree with that? It's very easy to get disconnected from brothers and sisters, from your friends, from your family. If you're married, it's easy to get connected between spouse, husband, and wife. It's easy to get disconnected from church. Church experts will tell you when someone does not come to church for six weeks in a row, they find something else to do in that time. That's why it is so important for us to be on others who we know who are part of this body and say, hey, you can't be disconnected. You've got to be a part of this family. That's why we're having National Back to Church Sunday. That's why that's sponsored that way, so that people will get this idea and this understanding. Yeah, that's what I should be doing. What do you think they're going to be doing on Sunday mornings about 10 o'clock if they're not in church? Football, huh? That's why God made TiVo, all right? Or that's why God made DVRs to record those things. Amen. As we're to be connected here. You're connected and you are missed when you're not here. So how do you stay connected? Well, how do you get connected? How do you stay connected? Let me just throw this out to you. It means being involved beyond just Sunday morning at 9.30. And quite frankly, that's what some of you just do. Just one service at 9.30. There's no other time to study. There's no other time to serve. There's no other time to be connected. There's no other time to have community. I want to encourage you to go beyond just the one hour or the one hour and 15 minutes that we spend in here on Sunday mornings. To get connected, we had a connection Sunday about a month ago. If you didn't take that opportunity to get connected, it's coming. We're going to be doing a campaign called Not a Fan. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a bit. But it's a place to step out and get connected into some sort of community group. However, I want to warn you. Here's the secret on this, that um, when you get into a community group or when you get in with other people, and some of you probably have experienced this already, and that's why you maybe don't want to be connected, but when you are connected, you will have differences in your life than other people. You You will think differently. You will disagree on some things. In fact, the only people who agree on everything are dead people, right? That, that, that's just the way that is. In fact, if you're saying, oh, I'm in perfect harmony with anybody and everybody, it's because you're either not being honest or you are all dead, right? There, there are no arguments in morgues because they're dead. They don't argue. If you're alive, you're going to have arguments. You're going to have disagreements. You know why? Because God made us all different. God, for some reason, loves variety. And you have a different opinion than I do. You have different interests than I do. You have different background than I do. You have different personality, but God loves variety. And so he brings us together, and he wants us, though, to take that variety and put it together in community. That is so important. It's so important to the call of being a Christian because in a large setting like this, we can all kind of get along. But in a smaller group, We are refined, we are grown, we are stretched. In fact, those smaller groups of people that you're supposed to get together with in your Christian faith can be a love laboratory. You know how you go to class and you receive a lecture, you get some notes and things like that, you read up on your books? Well, the small group becomes the laboratory, it becomes the experience, it becomes the experiment. How do I put this into practice? What do I do to make this happen? How do I develop healthy relationships? Unfortunately, we've never taught 
how to have healthy relationships. Most of you are not sat down by your parents and told how to have a healthy relationship. Most of you probably never even went to and took a class in, in school on how to have a healthy relationship. But it is one of the most important things you can ever do in your life is to learn how to have healthy relationships, a healthy relationship with God, and a healthy relationship with people because that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to love Him and then love His people. That's why God made us to be in community. The biblical word for this is the word koinonia. And some of you may recognize that word. You may have heard it before, but it occurs over 20 times in the Bible. And the definition comes down to the sense of fellowship or having something in common or having communion or having community. It's, it's first seen in Acts 2, verse 42, where, where you see the people gathered together, they ate together, they shared together, they showed their common possessions, they had this faith and this love and this encouragement that they gathered as believers. In Philippians chapter 2, it's kind of talked about as well, where the people are united in purpose and they're in agreement with each other and they serve along one another. And their, and their koinonia with each other is really based upon their koinonia or fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so as you read through the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus says you cannot be a lone ranger Christian. You need to be connected to one another. In fact, I could do a whole series on these one another's. You read through Scripture and you see the word one another, one another, one another. Let me tell you what the one another's say. The one another says be devoted to one another. It says to honor one another. It says to live in harmony with one another. It says to accept one another and to serve one another and be kind and compassionate to one another. It says to encourage one another and to spur one another on and to offer hospitality to one another and to love one another. That's what true biblical koinonia community fellowship looks like. And you don't do it by yourself. It's impossible to do it by yourself. You do it in community. And so I want to take just a few minutes to look at that and maybe... Maybe look at individually what builds up that kind of community in koinonia and what destroys or what busts that community in koinonia. And so if you have your outline, take that out. You'll see it says community busters and community builders. And this goes on, you know, I'm, I'm real excited about this because it goes on beyond just outside of church. Even though we need this in church, it goes to the place where you can apply it to your friends You can apply this to your marriage if you're married. You can apply this to your work. You can apply this if you're single to the people that you interact with most. It applies to so many different areas of your life. But let's look at this. Let's look at some community busters and some community builders. The first one I wrote there is this. Selfishness destroys community. Selfishness destroys community. This is enemy number one. It's what causes conflict. It's what causes arguments. It's what causes divorce. It's what causes war. In fact, James chapter 4, 1 and 2 says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have. And James says, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. It is so easy for selfishness to creep into our relationships. You know how when you start a relationship, everything just seems good? It's because you put your selfishness aside, don't you? But then comes date two, and three, and four, and you see more about that person, and who they really are, and what they're like, and then you get married, and you really see what that person is like, don't you? (laughs) 
You do. Because at the core of it, at the heart of it, we're all selfish people. Would you agree that we put more energy into building relationships than maintaining relationships? We, we may step out there and just kind of build it. Oh, okay, we got a friendship. But to do the work to maintain the relationships can be very difficult. I do a lot of uh, pre-marriage counseling before I marry couples. Um, I, I've thought about how, though, much more important post-marriage counseling is, and not when it's in dire straits, not when it's in a crisis type of situation, but simply post-marriage when now you're much more aware of, wow, I didn't know this person could be like this, or I didn't know I could be like this in a marriage relationship. And it's not just marriage. It's any relationship that we have. We, we kind of let down and then our selfishness comes out. You know why? I'll tell you a lot of reason why. Because we're fed that message. That you're number one. That our culture and advertising goes after this. Do it your way. We do it for you. We, 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 it's all about you. you. There's these ads that come along and talk about this. We do this all for you. Have it your way. In fact, Sprite had an ad a number of years ago that was obey your thirst. That, that was their ad. Obey your thirst. So whatever kind of urge you have to drink, get, you know, that self-centered attitude is there. You need to obey that. Obey whatever urge you have. Live for yourself regardless of what it does for anybody else. You know a more sophisticated way of saying this and they've marketed to this as well? What happens in Vegas, what? You've heard it, right? I mean, the sense that, you know, I can cheat on my spouse as long as it's done in another city, as long as it's done in Vegas. That is so selfish. I can be immoral. I can be rotten as long as it stays in Sin City. Scripture says, whoa. What what, what are we teaching ourselves? What's the culture saying to ourselves? Proverbs 28, 25 selfishness only causes trouble. Only causes trouble. Now, if selfishness busts or destroys community, what builds it? I wrote down there, selflessness builds community. Selflessness builds community. What does that mean? It means a little bit more of you, a little less of me. It means a little bit less of myself and a little bit more of you in what we do. It says, you realize you're not the center of the universe. I'm not the center of the universe. Our family last night um, just got a little uh, puppy dog that we're keeping for a family friend. We have it for a couple of weeks while they're on a trip. And um, I can quickly see that we're going to have some problems, that puppy dog and I. And uh, it's mainly because I think that puppy dog feels like it is the center of the universe, to be honest with you. And yet I'm not that much different. I have those same feelings in my life. I think I'm the center of the universe, and I should be treated that way. At a very basic core, the animal instinct comes out in that way. You know what Scripture says about it? It says, make love your top priority. Not just a top ten, not just two or three on your list, but make love, make selflessness, make giving, make blessing other top on your list. Look what it says out of Philippians 2.4. It says, look out for one another's interests, not just your own. Look out for the interests of other people. When we start to do that, you know, it, that changes others. I, I was working with a couple a number of years ago where um, I could just see they were in this cycle. 
that she did this to him, so he did this to her, caused him to do this, she, her to do this to him, so he would do it to her. I mean, over and over, it would just be a cycle that they were going through. And we talked about how do you break that cycle. Some of you are in that cycle, and it could be with your boss, it could be with a coworker, it could be in your marriage. You know the way to break that cycle? It's one of you just to step up and say, I will be the mature one here. And do this differently. It was amazing what happened with that couple. The wife finally just said, I'm not going to do what he expects me to do when he irritates me, when he baits me. I'm going to step out and do something different. It caused that whole relationship to change. Because she said, I'm not going to be selfish any longer. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what God has called me to do, and that's to love my husband even when he's selfish. And it changed because he could no longer do what he expected, what he wanted to do, or the anger that he had to her because she came at him in a totally different way. Some of you need to take that to heart and say, when we get in our cycle, when we get in the argument place here, one of us needs to back down, stop the cycle, and say, God, what do you want us to do in the middle of this situation? You know how God teaches us those things? He teaches us what the people closest to us could be family. It could be community. It could be a small group that we have. And that becomes a love laboratory that we get involved in of God really taking this word and putting it into our lives and letting us work it out with those who are closest to us. If there's nothing else you get from this message, grab a hold of this. One of the greatest lessons in life is to learn to be unselfish. That will change everything. It's saying, God, I realize I'm not the center of this universe and I need to be unselfish. Another way of saying it is to love others more than myself. To love God and then to love others as he's asked us to. But it doesn't happen overnight. Don't get discouraged if it doesn't. It takes time. In fact, it will take you till the day you die. You're on that growth process of becoming more like Christ, becoming more like God, day after day after day after day. In fact, Galatians 5.16 hits on this when it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Our fleshly desires say I'm selfish. Our godly ones say I want to live unselfishly. God, I don't want to think more about myself. I, I, I want to do this your way. I want to do it your lifestyle. I want this to be a lifestyle that I engage in. And so let me tell you this. This is why I'm kind of talking about this subject right now. I've found a system that gets us going in the right path in the right way. In fact, I just said that if you get out of church for six weeks, oftentimes you'll find something else to do. If you start a habit for six weeks, you will also begin to do something for the positive. And so I'm hoping that we as a church body We'll begin to say, God, what do you want us to do? How can we become more like your son? And the way that we're going to roll this out, and I'm hoping that everybody in this church will get into this and get involved, is by taking steps to say, I want to get in front of God. I want to get in front of God's word. I want to get God's word into me. And I want to get be in community where we're going to take positive steps in our lives. How do you do that? Well, it's, clear. it's a huge part of that. It's, it, it's taking a devotional book and reading that throughout the week so that those words will change your life. It's memorizing Scripture so that, that Scripture will get into you and the bad stuff will get out of you. And it's reaching out beyond yourself and it's serving. Now, I just gave you five steps. 
And if you as a body are willing to go through this, we're going to be doing a series in October called Not a Fan. And we're hoping that you will sign up to be here every week on Sundays like you already, many of you come every Sunday. But we're hoping you take that next step and get involved in a community group. And in that community group, you'll be challenged to grow and to read a devotional book. You'll be challenged to memorize a scripture and you'll be challenged to serve as a community together. I just laid out for you a way that our church family can become more like Christ in a huge way and impact this community. We need that kind of a thing that goes way beyond just Sunday morning, hearing a message, and then going out not necessarily applying it or not knowing how to apply it. You apply it with the people you interact with, and you are spurred on to the good when you do that. You'll be hearing more about that next week and the weeks to come, but please be praying about that. Let me give you a second, though, thing that destroys relationships or destroys community, and that is pride. Pride destroys community. I'll go through this very quickly. Proverbs 13, verse 10 says, Pride leads to arguments. In fact, if you are a critical person, you probably have some pride that's down inside of you. Critical people become judgmental. Critical people become uh, picky and, and they become perfectionists and they want other people to also be perfectionists. You probably have a pride issue if that's going on in your life right now. In fact, if you're competitive, maybe you have a bit of a pride issue going on as well. You say, well, you know, my dress is better than her dress or compare your cars or compare your salary or compare your spouses and how they may look or compare your children and what they've done in life. Maybe it's stubbornness. Maybe you have a hard time saying, I'm sorry. Maybe you have a hard time uh, apologizing. You choke on your apologies. Maybe you have shallow relationships. Shallow relationships are also a form of pride because you kind of put up a mask and you kind of put people at arm's distance and you create shallow relationships. The problem with that is that it's self-deceiving. And everybody else sees that maybe you have a pride issue there, but you don't see it yourself. You know what the Bible says about that in Proverbs 16, 18? It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So how do you step out of pride? Well, all the anecdote to pride there is humility. Humility is what now builds community. If pride busts it or destroys it, humility is what builds it up. In fact, 1 Peter 3.8 says it like this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, have sympathy, have brotherly love, a tender heart, and there it is, a humble mind, humility, a humble spirit that you might have. That's why the more you read this, the more you become like Christ. The more you interact with others and talk about the good the more you challenge each other to put your pride aside and to be humble in life is what changes you. In fact, Ephesians chapter 4 says it like this, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me give you, let me give you a basic law of relationships. You ready for this? This is not very foundational, but maybe you hadn't thought about this. You tend to become like the people you spend time with. So if you spend time with grumpy people, you're going to be what? Just the way to... If you spend time with happy people, you're going to be what? You tend to become like people. You tend to become like the people you spend your time with. And if you want to meet the most humble person in the history of the world, you spend time with Jesus. 
You open up this word and you see how he served. You see how he loved. You see how his spirit says to let that wash over the top of you. That's why spending time in God's word is so, so very important. John Trent um, is a great speaker. He spoke at a conference a number of years ago where a woman came up afterwards and oftentimes when you speak at conferences, people have stories that they want to share. And She kind of grabbed his arm and she said, can I share a story with you about my son and my granddaughter? He said, sure, please. He said, my son has two daughters. One is five and the other one is, is two, kind of going through those terrible twos. And um, he had been taking his five-year-old daughter out on uh, daddy-daughter kind of dates, but he had never done it with the two-year-old. And he finally decided, you know what, maybe I should do that with her. And so they did this date alone, dad and daughter. And they went out to a local breakfast place, a fast food restaurant. They got pancakes and the son decides, you know what, before we eat breakfast, maybe I'll just take a moment to share with my daughter how much I love her. And so he looks her in the eye. And he says, Jenny, I I want you to know how much I love you and how special you are to mommy and to me and how much we have prayed for you and even the time when we dedicated you at church and, and, and just how proud we are of you. And then he stopped talking and he reached down and he picked up his fork and he was going to cut into his pancakes and dip it into the syrup. But before he had a chance to do that, she reaches out her little hand with her chubby little fingers and she puts them on top of daddy's hand and stops it. And he looks at her, and eye to eye, she looks him right in the eye, and she says, longer, Daddy, longer. he says, well, you know, your your mother and I, we love you so very much, and we prayed for you, and we think you're doing just a wonderful girl, and maybe you're going through, you know, those terrible twos right now. You don't understand what those are, but even through that, we love you, and we care for you. Kind of feels like that's a good thing to do, and reaches down, picks up his fork, and she reaches out her hand again and says, longer, Daddy, longer longer. It happened two, three, four, five times before she was finally filled up with those words. And this father said he was so humbled by that because he realized maybe he hadn't been spending the time he needed to. And my question to you today is this. Is there somebody in your life who's whispering longer, longer, In fact, is God whispering longer, longer? We can all come to that place of saying, God, I I know I've not been the person that you want me to be. I want to be more like you. I want to spend more time with you. You know, if we're doing that together, imagine how that builds a community around here. Let me give you the last two points on the back page. Last enemy of community. A sense of resentment. Resentment destroys community. Look what Job 5.2 says. To worry yourself to death with resentment is a foolish, senseless thing to do. We all have those kind of people in our lives who are, you know, I call them joy suckers. Do you have some joy suckers in your life? You have some of those? You walk into a room and they're just sucking the joy out of that thing, right? It's like, whoa, I just want to turn around and go away. It, it, it can be, you know, those little irritating kind of things, but those can lead to longer, larger irritations. And that can lead, if we don't, you know, laugh it off or work through it, it can lead to anger, which can boil over to resentment. Resentment destroys community. Now understand this. Anger is not always a sin. 
resentment is always a sin. Scripture says you can sin and you can be angry and not sin. And so there's this understanding that, you know, we can be angry and sin, and we can be angry and not sin. A righteous kind of anger says, I, I, I'm, I'm angry at, at the injustices of the world. I'm angry at something that happened to my kids. That, that's kind of a righteous anger that's okay. But resentment, when that anger boils over to resentment, that is always wrong. And the truth is, the most foolish things that have ever been done in history have been done in revenge and retaliation and in resentment. And I'd venture to say that the most foolish things that have been done in your life and my life have also been done in a sense of revenge or retaliation and resentment. In fact, there are just some times when we express the emotions that we go through in the wrong way and we just end up doing something really stupid. You know, it's interesting. The Psalms describe those kind of emotions and feelings. I mean, if you get into Scripture, you'll see the Scripture is so real. Look what it says in, in Psalm 73. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked by an heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Where does it start? That, that kind of that embitterment, that resentment that happens. One of the main reasons I think God asks us to be in community is to keep us from doing dumb things. To go to someone and say, hey, I see a situation that I could fall into. Would you help me stay out of that? There was someone a number of years ago I was good friends with who um, was going through a divorce. And he knew when he was going through that divorce, he had some anger and frustration, resentment at his ex-wife as that was going through it. And he owned a gun. He owned it. He had a permit for it. It was legal and all that. But he knew that that was not the thing that he should have in his possession at that time. He went to another friend and he said, would you hold this gun for me? Because I know myself and I should not have this at this time. The friend said, absolutely. That friend prayed for that person. That friend took him into confidence and said, hey, you are dealing with a lot right now. Let's talk about this. But he kept him from doing something stupid. That's a part of community. That's what we do when we come into community. In fact, Hebrews 12, 15 talks about looking after one another. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace God gives, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. So what's the anecdote? Let me give the last fill-in. Forgiveness builds community. Forgiveness builds the community. We have had to have massive doses of forgiveness. Whether it's in a marriage relationship, whether it's in just friendships or at the office, we need to have huge doses of community, of forgiveness in community. In fact, this week, I'm going to send you out. And you're going to get into your love laboratories. Might not be in our small groups yet, like are going to come a little bit later on, but you're going to be in love laboratories because you're going to interact with people. Might not be the closest ones to you, and it's a little bit easier to succeed in those areas where they're not close to you. But you're going to have opportunities to choose to have resentment. You're going to have opportunities to choose to be embittered. You're going to have opportunities to choose to love or not love. So as we send you out to do your love lab, let me give you the answers to the test. Study for the test. In fact, it's the first set of verses that I read to you out of Colossians chapter 3. Let me tell you what's going to be on your test and what you can do. As I read at the beginning, it says this. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all, put on, what's the word here? Above all, put on, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There's the notes. You study that, you'll pass the test.